0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today we are talking about the business of selling vintage books and collectible books and books out of print. Um, One might think that it's uh, virtually impossible to succeed as a bookstore in today's increasingly digital environment. But uh, there are still millions, um, this host included, uh, that enjoy a good three-dimensional, hold it in your hand, literally turn the pages of, and not a virtual online book. And so the enjoyment comes from... Turning those pages of that handheld book, and in fact, uh, there are some who uh, have uh, determined that you learn more when you uh, use a three-dimensional book versus reading off of a screen. So, I'm very pleased to have as my guests Jen Bolgla and Bob Rorty of Atlanta Vintage Books to talk about their business. And uh, what it's taken to make that business not just uh, uh, grow and survive, but to actually thrive. Welcome to the Business Hour, Jan and Bob. Thank, Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Now, I think we might want to start um, uh, back at the, 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 the beginning uh, and, and have you share uh, how it is uh, that you became entrepreneurs and how it is that you came to select a bookstore as your first uh, business. Um, Not the first business that you worked in, but the first business that you owned. So share with listeners a little bit about uh, how that all unfolded.
1: Well, uh, actually, Jan Jan has been self-employed. For twenty plus years, she was uh, she is a graphic designer, and I worked in mid size commercial printing. So I was always uh, <clears throat> someone, you know, who who was not an entrepreneur. But uh, we decided nine almost ten years ago that uh, because we had no kids and. You know, the job that I had was very high stress, you know, and as you know, in printing, you can't ever do it fast enough or cheap enough, and so the pressure, you know, when you're young, you thrive on the pressure and the stress, but when you get older, it starts to wear on you, and I can remember saying to Jan, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack in this business uh, if I don't get out of it, and... Her business had, had fallen off, uh, and so we'd always talked about owning a bookstore. I mean, we had a little tiny publishing company when we first met, and when I say little tiny, I mean little tiny, right? <laughs> but we both knew books. We both knew graphics. Uh, being in printing, I was familiar with paper and ink and you know how a book is made, and uh, we'd always talked about, you know, boy, wouldn't it be great to own a bookstore? And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that. But we had both been in business. I had managed businesses, and Jan had run her own business profitably for years. So we knew how to make a buck, right? right. And and so we didn't have this starry-eyed Oh no, we're just gonna sit and read and let people pick out books you know it's a very it's a it's a very hard business uh but anyway uh one Sunday, one of my rare days off, I was reading the paper and Jan was reading the paper and and usually I would scan through the paper and pretty much check everything and and one of the things I always look at is business opportunities not not because I'm looking to buy a business but I was looking to see which printing companies were up for sale for, for gossip purposes, and that one Sunday I, I, I was so depressed I didn't even bother to look. And Jan, who who never reads that section, read it, and she said, "Bob, there's a a bookstore for sale." I said, um, "Yeah." She, she said, "You want me to call?" I said, yeah, yeah, why not, right? So she called, and she came back, and she said, it's, it's Atlanta Vintage Books. I said, I know that place. I've been there. I've shopped there. So the following Monday, we went over and met with the owners and uh, saw the place, and we knew right off that it was the perfect thing. Because it was a vintage bookstore with collectible books, rare, out of print, non-existent, right? Uh, And we knew we wouldn't be competing with the big box bookstores. You know, it was a niche. And this was a big store. I mean, it's 7,000 square feet. It's, according to the owner, 70,000 books. And we were like, wow, this is great and we got out we we went into the car and sat in the car and we both looked at each other and said you know if we don't if we don't go for this we're going to regret it for the rest of our lives and this was what early December right? Yeah early
2: December and by February 2nd we owned the business
0: Now tell us about what goes into assessing uh, the value? I mean, it, it might be so simple as the owner setting a price and you agreeing to that number, uh, but did you go through a process of assessing value? Did you then realize, oh, maybe we should turn to a source that will help us assess the value of a retail business and of this specific business, and, you know, you wouldn't. Know whether there was fifty thousand, seventy thousand, or maybe even she underestimated. They underestimated, and it was ninety thousand books. It was a lot of books.
2: It was a lot of books
0: in, in the seven thousand square feet. So, how did you go about determining uh, what was a reasonable price? And and did that all go pretty well? I mean, did that was it all?
2: It went very agreeably. Yeah, um,
0: they were motivated sellers.
1: Uh, they had originally started the store, how many years ago? In
2: 88.
1: Back in 88. And, and he had worked for the IRS. So this was a, a part-time thing for him. And it was, you know, mostly geared toward collectors. And, uh, sometimes he wouldn't be open. You know, he'd be out looking for books. You know, it was that kind of thing where, you know, open by appointment, that kind of, uh, not really, uh, uh Customer-oriented, uh, the general customer, and he sold it to a young couple who wanted to buy it, and and they ran it for six years, and um, within the first year they got a divorce, the husband and wife, and um, and he was the money, and and she was the the talent. So when he left, you know she her weakness was. You know the money end, and and so after six years, she was about to go out of business, and so she begged the previous owner to buy it back. I'll make you a good deal; it'll make it worth your while. And he, you know, it was his baby, and he didn't want to see it go out of business. And
0: well, was it a a labor of love for him? Was he uh, a a book collector, and so his his hobby? uh-oh. Not so much a book collector, no, no. He
1: was, he was. Um, he has some collectible books at home, you know, but but it it was a, a hobby for him, something that he could do in his retirement.
0: It was a minor hobby that he thought he could turn into a business, sure, and not quite the labor of love that it it is for the two of you. Do you think that? with your graphic design background jan and your printing background uh bob that you had a special appreciation for the books themselves uh, you know yeah,
2: uh, i think so i mean we really get excited about beautiful books you know we love the way they're put together we love the printing method um all of that goes into our interest in books, as well as the knowledge you get from books.
1: And yeah, we have a real appreciation for how a book is put together because we know know how it's done. And so, you know, we know paper and we know design and we know printing processes. So we can appreciate what went into putting this book together. And and so it is, in fact, a work of art. Um, you know the mass market paperbacks from the '50s and the '60s. You know they're the equivalent of today's digital books, right? Uh, essentially, a commoditization of an art, an art form, right? Whereas there are publishers out there who produce the most incredibly beautiful books. I mean, they they put. A lot of effort and a lot of money into producing these books, and and people collect them, and they're they're timeless. They they maintain their they hold their value, and they even increase in value because a lot of times these specialty publishers that won't print a lot of books. I mean, you know Stephen King's la- latest book, they'll print half a million of them and uh, so it, Stephen King's a recognized name but the book is not scarce it's all over the place and and so value a lot of times depends on scarcity uh, so so yeah we we and see Jan has an art background and and I was an English major in college and I'm
0: also a big history. Uh, Yet another layer, um, not just printing, um, but the English alone would uh, have you appreciating the printed word, the written word, the printed word, and in Jan's case, not just a graphic designer, but a background in art so that you had an appreciation for um, books as an art form. And also, and we had a conversation off air about... Uh, the nature of older books having more illustration, more artwork, uh, even being reproduced in ways, printing-wise, uh, that would exceed the more modern technique of four-color and later digital uh, uh, color reproduction so that, uh, you know, having books that uh, incorporated um, these various forms of art and literature, uh, it, it would seem that uh, your appreciation uh, for the very books um, is uh, part of your DNA. It was part of your DNA, and then it seemed to be a, a natural evolution, at least as I see it, uh, to, to get to a point where... Uh, It made sense that this would be the kind of business that you would buy. We're going to be taking a break, but when we come back, um, one question I have is whether or not there were any other thoughts that you gave to any other kind of business, even if you were more actively looking for a bookstore um, and just... Sort of scanning to see what the landscape for printing companies was like. Uh, Was that a possibility? So were there any other options? And then we'll talk about those early days. Boom, all of a sudden, you own a bookstore. We're here with Jan Bogla and Bob Ruarty of Atlanta Vintage Books. We'll be back with Bob and Jan right after this break.
3: This is Michael Gonneau with Insight to Israel. Thank you, God bless patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security.
1: Don't be hoodwinked by the left, who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
4: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare.
2: This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs.
4: This is WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Bob Vorarty and Jan Bolgla of AtlantaVidget's Vintage Books, And we were talking in the first uh, segment about uh, how the business emerged as an option uh, for Bob and Jan to make a transition to from their other uh, jobs, Bob working for a printer, Jan working as a graphic designer. And I wonder whether there was any point in time when, you were thinking, um, I, I want to find something that's a little st- less stressful, something that we could do together. Were there any other options? You know, a lot of people, couples in particular, enter- entertain franchises, for example. I mean, it would not have been uncommon or unheard of that you bought a Minuteman Press or a Speedy Press, and the chances are. That the two of you would run a better minute man press uh, than a lot of couples who are good business people but don't have a graphic arts background, which y- you know becomes a part of the business if you have someone with that skill set and doesn't understand the technical aspects of print production. Was that a possible option? Another printing business,
2: not really. (laughs) (laughs) It's a
0: romantic notion in that direction, but that's not the romantic direction you went in.
2: No, it was really. um, It was. We knew that we were ready to make some change, and I know this isn't the best business advice, but the stars just aligned perfectly for us, and we saw that this bookstore was available. And we knew we could afford it. And since we don't have kids, we thought it's just us. We have the same philosophy about money. Um, and we thought, if, as Bob said before, if we don't try it, we're going to regret it. And since I had run my own business and Bob had been in charge of managing businesses... He really taught me, when I started my own business in um, 87, he really taught me a lot about the basics of running a business because that's what he had done. And um, so we both had that strong business sense. And um, I think that is what has been a um, a major uh, part of us keeping the bookstore open. Well,
0: it seems that you were in the right place at the right time. Exactly. The opportunity came yeah. along. You seized the opportunity, and uh, offered opportunity oftentimes only knocks once. Yeah, yes. And so it just so happened that it was an opportunity that was aligned with some other skill sets and other interests, and in that sense, it's 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 been ideal let's talk about what vintage books are you know tell us the difference between a vintage book what's considered a rare book what's considered a collectible book what um, what 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 role in the inventory out of print books play and of course there's overlapping between all those categories but let's start off by having you describe what a uh, is considered in the industry to be a real vintage book
1: a real vintage book uh, and you know vintage it's it's such a general term. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, scarcity if it's if it's if it's a vintage book, it's been around a long time uh, and there probably aren't very many copies of it out there. so it's desirable. Uh, add to the fact that whatever information in it is desirable, or when it comes to fiction, whoever wrote it, it's desirable. Uh, A vintage book would be Stephen King's first book. Uh, A vintage book would be the first edition, first printing of uh, the, uh, The Great Gatsby. Right, I mean that's a highly collectible book. It's very, it's very, very scarce. Um, but also, a vintage book could be an engineering manual from the nineteen thirties or forties because uh, people, engineers specifically, are are looking for those because it has information in there that that they can't get in the books they get today in engineering. Um, and, and, you know, with engineering, you know, it's pretty cut and dried. I mean, not much changes, uh, weight factors and load factors. That's all been figured out. <clears throat> so also a vintage book could be, um, a book of, um, uh, illustrations by a well-known illustrator who's since passed away, um. A vintage book could be just a book that is out of print, and it it uh, it can't be found, or you have to really look hard to find it.
0: I want to interject here that you know you, you mentioned uh, scarcity and desirability, and consequently, uh, if you have those factors, it might make it a collectible. And if it's collectible, it could be valuable. Right. And you mentioned Stephen King, so it could be something more recent or one of his older books. And then, of course, you have books that go back centuries. And uh, I don't know uh, to what degree you delve into those uh more uh, antiquated uh, volumes, but of course, uh, I know if you could get a good deal on a Gutenberg Bible,
4: <laughs> uh,
0: both of you, yeah, uh, we'll, jump. we'll jump at it. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, begin because it's the essence of of of, of what you uh, have an appreciation for. Sure, um, the art of that uh, repographic uh, 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 book. And uh, the production behind it, the uh, and of course uh, content there, uh, it makes it, it valuable. Uh, do you have books that fall into those categories of having been around? Uh, do you come across uh, an old uh, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain uh, publication now and then, uh, which which certainly would fall into a way different category of scarcity and and, and desirability and collectability and and, and and value yeah
2: well the great thing is is our stores is we have a lot of space in our store so we can have collectibles like that in fact right now we have quite a few first edition of Mark Twain and um, so we can have a, a, a large span of uh, books going from two dollars To up to very rare vintage books. Um, The date of a book when it was produced isn't always the driving force with a vintage book. Um, People will call and say, I have a book that's from the 1800s. And it's just because it's from the 1800s doesn't mean it's worth anything if the content isn't rare or um, it could be a romance novel from the 1800s, and that might not be as much have as much value as something else. But
0: unless um. it was a Jane Austen, uh, you know, a, a sort a Jane of the Austen the off- would, yeah, yeah. the, the <laughs> author uh, would play a, a part in, in 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 the collectability, the desirability of, uh, you know. In fact, Jan, you recently, we won't necessarily name. The client, but you've been engaged to help assess the value of 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 some vintage books uh, that a major uh, Fortune five hundred company had uh, in its corporate headquarters, and they were about to uh, redesign uh, the interior of these executive offices and wanted to know whether or not these books that were in a, a bookcase had any real value. Um how do you go about it and 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 is it painstakingly book by book your your uh, of course if there's a collection uh but but uh, in many cases are you just looking at each book and doing a little bit of research related to those books
2: Yes it depends on who you know what the client wants um we do appraisals for people that need that have made donations um to Companies or to schools or to universities, and they need to know the value for um, IRS purposes. Right, and we can be—we don't have to go into each book. They just want a a pretty general price of what the whole collection is worth. And there are certain things that we've learned over the years um, that have, like when I went to this company um, we saw a lot of beautiful leather books and but a lot of them were parts of sets so there are certain things right off that you can tell um, that will tell you that this book isn't going to be worth a lot even though it's beautiful and it's a beautiful leather book we can sell it as a leather book but we can't really sell it for the content It's more of an interior design piece.
0: Was there um, any similarity to the content, uh, or was it just sort of all across the board, different different content?
2: Um, Yeah, it it was kind of all across the board. There were some old medical books and some law books, you know, so.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to drill down even further into uh, lessons learned about... uh, acquiring a bookstore and making it thrive and not just survive because you've experienced some growth and which is a real positive sign we're here with Bob Rorty and Jan Bogla we'll be back to talk about their bookstore and their lives uh, running the bookstore right after this break whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the
5: family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are
3: available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Thank you. God bless patriot conservatives and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security.
4: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
3: Welcome back to the Business
0: Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Bob Rorty and Jan Bulgla of Atlanta Vintage Books. We've been talking about their acquisition, uh, their purchase of Atlanta Vintage Books. Um, as a business, which uh, seemed to be the perfect business um, when they made the purchase and and has emerged in many ways as the perfect business. Uh, Not all of us are lucky enough to be an entrepreneur uh, in an industry segment or to to acquire a, a specific business where we could sink our hearts and our heads into the business, but You've been able to do that. and uh, you've been able to not just survive, but that you've experienced some growth. And uh, we can talk about you know what's gone into making the business succeed and uh, to to grow and to be profitable. But let's go back to um, the early days. And, and maybe talk a little bit about lessons learned. And y- you weren't the blind leading the blind, but you were still new to owning uh, a bookstore. Uh, wh- what were some of those early lessons learned, and uh, uh, what have been some of the, the tried and true lessons that you believe are cornerstones of, of, of your success?
1: Well, the first thing we learned was um, <clears throat> that the 70,000 books that we bought in the inventory it was a lot of books, but it they weren't necessarily books that people wanted to buy. The, the previous owner had kind of let the inventory run down and he he did not uh, had not refreshed the the various uh, areas and and understand that we have we have military history we have, Civil War history, we have American history, we have European history and history by countries, we have art, architecture, philosophy, photography, uh, engineering,
0: engineering, as you mentioned, engineering,
1: technical, right, technical books, uh, science, psychology, 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 self self help. I mean, it runs the gamut, and some of those areas were weak. Uh, and because the o- previous owner f- over three years had not really refreshed uh, the the areas and we were not aware of it until one of our good friends, he's now a good friend but at the time he was a long term customer and he came in and he introduced himself to me and uh, I said so what do you like to buy and he said oh I'm I'm really into um, aviation, military aviation and uh World War II mostly. Um, I said, well, uh, it doesn't look like we have that much. And he said, yeah, yeah. Giles kind of let that run down. He said, uh, you plan on uh, building it back up again? And I said, you think it needs it? <laughs> and he goes, it's all been picked over. He said, I've been coming here for 20 years. He said, if they were going to buy it, it would have been bought now. So when he left, I sat down with Jan and said, we really have to take a look, a closer look at what we have on the shelf in all of these different uh, areas.
0: So tell us how in that one uh, very specific um, subject genre you go about replenishing those books by um, Does it start uh, by going online to learn more about where some of those books are? How do you learn what it is that you should replenish uh, that section with? Uh, How do you learn about uh, what's scarce and desirable?
2: Over the um, last at least five or six years, um, we... There are, we have three employees and uh, the two of us. Bob is a voracious reader, so he knows a lot about a lot of different subjects. And then each one of us that works there, um, we each have um, different specialties. And so, like, we have a, a woman that went to seminary and she has built up this incredible religious section and philosophy section at the bookstore because that was her interest. She can tell the difference between something that is a book that you can find anywhere or a very rare religious book.
1: Because before that, the religion section was a disaster.
2: So so it's really just knowing... Um, Learning what's uh, important for each genre. It
0: starts wi- with a, a, a knowledge of that subject matter. Yeah, pretty a- much. And, and pretty you much. have uh, specialties uh, among the staff. Bob, I'm going to guess that um, technical, uh, the manuals that we talked about uh, and the area of engineering and perhaps this area of, of old military hardware uh is, is is one of your specialties? I'm not
1: real um I'm not real really good with technical i but I do know history um military history especially uh, and one of the things that was was taught to us inadvertently by a collector we were buying his civil war collection. And I was, I was complimenting him, and I said, uh, you've got some really interesting stuff here. And he said, yeah. He said, Bob, I don't buy anything with Civil War in the title, which means I don't buy the general stuff. I want, and, and collectors want that. People who are, who are deeply interested in, in these subjects... They don't want to read a general history of the Civil War. They know the history of the Civil War. They don't want to read a general history of World War 1, World War 2, Korea or anything there like that. They want
0: biographies of some of the key figures. Exactly. And not even the most popular ones, that right. next level down. Right. They want they
1: want uh, uh books about certain battles, controversial battles, uh books about certain controversial things that have happened. Self-published books uh are are very very uh Uh, Desirable, Uh, so the specifics are you know getting real specific, and that's one of the things we learned was you know people will call us. I've got these Civil War books, and
0: so I would imagine customers are a a source, a a wealth of knowledge that help you in turn uh, become educated and, and 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 become good buyers. Everybody
1: Uh, knows a lot about something.
0: And, and Jan, my guess is that um, one of your areas of of, uh, special interest uh, and knowledge is uh, art, art history. Uh, Is that true?
2: Yes, and I really like um, children's books and illustrators. That's a big interest of mine. But um, as you said, and as Bob said, you learn so much from your customers. If you really listen and you talk to them about their collecting and um, what they're interested in, you quickly learn the names of new illustrators you never knew about, but people are interested in collecting those. So we learn so much from our customers.
0: You know, in putting together the the promo for uh, today's program, um, I was looking at uh, different uh, sources of vintage book-related art, and that included uh, illustrations, early illustrations of various animals. Uh, I opted for a line art illustration of an early press, a printing press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one of the other images that I, I, I almost chose to use was a beautiful cover of Peter Rabbit. So <laughs> yeah. I, I would have I would have been yeah. touching yeah. on yeah. A, uh, a, a soft spot there. A, 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 I mean, a, um, a comfort zone uh, yeah, that you could appreciate. Uh, is there a section of uh, children's books, uh, and in general, children's books almost always have illustrations. So yeah. the uh, children's book section has to be a highly illustrated section, I guess.
2: It is, and when we bought the store, um, the previous owner said that we have the largest vintage um, children's book section in the southeast. And we do have a one of the owners, that was a particular interest, so she really built it up. And um, we do have some children's books that are really hard to find um, so it is one of our larger sections and uh, you do start to learn the different illustrators of children's books that people are interested in and know to grab those.
0: Do you have some Dr. Seuss books? Have they uh, gone uh, uh, in and out of uh, levels of uh, popularity And uh, because every now and then I'll see Uh, And and it may coincide with uh, a promotion for The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, uh, but nevertheless, it shines a light on on the the Dr. Seuss uh, book series.
2: Yeah. Um, It's funny that you brought up Dr. Seuss because true first editions of Dr. Seuss are very hard to identify. Um, With a lot of these books, um, the copyright date is the same on a book no matter when it was printed. Um, Dr. Seuss has these little letters on the spine that kind of uh, let you know. There are little points in different books that let you know if something is a first edition or later. So you really have to study what the points are about a book, to know if it's a true first edition.
0: Are you becoming one of the experts at uh, deciphering uh, those codes?
2: I'm really trying to.
0: (laughs) She is the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Ah, speaking of which, when we come back, I'm going to mention something about the the Wizard of Oz uh, (laughs) and Al Frank Baum. We're here with Jan Bogla and... Bob Rorty of Atlanta Vintage Books. We've been talking about the fascinating business of a vintage bookstore. We'll be back with Jan and Bob right after this break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a non-profit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you
1: don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power america on butterflies rainbows and pixie dust i'm marita noon get the truth about energy on my show america's voice for energy only on america's web radio
4: do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure do other people smell things that you don't have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center... We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts.
2: This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs.
4: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Bob Rorty and Jan Bogla of Atlanta Vintage Books, and we've been talking about the fascinating business of running uh, a vintage bookstore. Uh, a bookstore in general um, could very well be uh, quite fascinating, but the background on the books themselves, when you have a vintage bookstore, uh, you know, becomes uh, this additional dimension uh, to uh, the color. Uh, of uh, and, and, and character uh, of the, the the inventory if you will and so we've been talking a little bit about that and uh, before the break uh, Bob mentioned that Jan was uh, the Wizard of Oz when it comes to uh, <laughs> understanding the uh, dr. Seuss coding that helps to reveal uh, whether it was an original uh publication uh, or, or, or not, and uh, that sort of set me off on uh, uh, an occasion where I was sitting with a graphic designer. We were coming up with a theme for one of the um, large uh, corporate complexes here in Atlanta. It was the concourse, as a matter of fact, that's right at Beach Street Dunwoody 285, those uh, two shades of blue-green glass buildings that are of a unique shape, including the King and Queen Towers, so a pretty iconic development. And this was going to be an invitation to to the grand opening of the first of the concourse buildings. And it was a session just going back and forth about what the theme could be and sitting on the coffee table at the graphic designer's home was a cloth hardcover copy of The Wizard of Oz (laughs) uh, that was partly chewed upon uh, by her her dog. And I picked it up and quickly was thumbing through it, and I saw a paragraph about Dorothy coming over the hill and seeing the bright green glow of the Emerald City. Uh, And then, boom, I said... The theme will be The Land of Oz, <laughs> A-H-H-S, The Land of Oz. Oh, yeah. We'll use Dorothy, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Man in the artwork. We'll play up um, the Yellow Brick Road, and so I wrote copy about where the Yellow Brick Road, which is how they referred to Georgia 400 at the time, yeah. coincidentally, and the Golden Crescent. And pulled that paragraph, attributing it to L. Frank Baum. And because I had gone to school in Claremont, and he wrote for uh, a period in uh, Claremont, uh, sort of uh, made that connection as well.
2: And I bet uh, the graphic designer loved you for that idea. That's uh, a really creative, fun idea I to work with.
0: I was a good creative director. Yeah. And I knew not to uh, step on the toes of the, the, the graphic designer. So it was a definite collaboration. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll actually show you the imitation at some point in time. I think you'll okay. really like it. Uh, uh, but I want to ask you about that very chewed-up version of Al Frank Baum, which I think was a uh, uh, an early edition. Uh, do, she do can tell you everything about The <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Well. Do chewed-up copies of <laughs> well, The Wizard of Oz have value? Um, Slightly gnawed upon?
2: Yes. <laughs> If it is a true first edition...
0: If it was chewed on um, by Toto.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If it's a true first edition, um, there is a whole book on how to identify the books that are in the Wizard of Oz series. Some people don't know it's a whole series. L. Frank Baum wrote 14 books, and then he died... And somebody took over the series. Quite a few people wrote after that, and there are like forty-four books in the whole series. But um, they—they're one. Uh, the publishing company always put the original copyright date on every book, so you really couldn't tell if something was a true first edition. And there were a lot of publications that were put out. So you really have to use a book that tells you what colors could be a first edition. You know, we have one, a copy of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and one um, point in the book is that there's a, one illustration with a moon and the moon has eyebrows, or it doesn't, and that lets you know if it's a first edition or not. I mean, it can be very subtle, but um, you do, with a lot of books, you have to go to another book to do the research to find out what makes it a true first edition. So if it is a true first edition, if there were so many printed later then um it's valuable even if it's been chewed by Toto <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: she as i recall this was a little terrier uh, <laughs> kind of a Toto like dog uh so more deciphering uh to determine what's uh, actually valuable uh, uh and uh it it, it sounds like that's uh, somewhat of a recurring theme for uh, determining what uh, are true early editions of uh, various um, authors' works. Um, Bob, you had mentioned, and I think it, it, it warrants a little bit of uh, uh, discussion, uh, a, a lot of folks out there might not understand that you have these esoteric uh, 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 disciplines, so to speak, uh, or maybe not so esoteric as the publications uh, in, in that discipline, But you had mentioned to me earlier on about uh, engineering books, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, about uh, books uh, that included charts and graphs uh, in in areas, HVAC, where some of the basic principles uh, uh, have not changed uh, and how uh, some craftspeople needed to, be certified, and that these books were oftentimes the source uh, of knowledge that led to certification and uh, and, and actual degrees. Uh, d- tell us a little bit more about that, and, and do you still maintain a section of uh, of technical um, manuals in yeah, a sense?
1: Actually, uh, it's it's a little known. Well, it was little known to us uh, area of of uh, growth. Um, there was a company uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, called the International Correspondence School. And let me back up by saying, the turn of the century, the turn of the last century, uh, you had a lot of people in in industry who had learned as journeymen. They had learned their jobs on the job. They didn't have any formal training and. You know, as as corporate America became more uh, rigid and more uh, defined, I guess uh, they required certification. Uh, you know, so you say you know how to, you know, build a be an armature winder. You know, you say you know how to do that, but. Do you really? I mean, do you have a certificate? You know, they they wanted to know, and all of these people, a lot of these people were required to to get certification, and so they they had to uh, they went to the ICS. internet, ICS, and uh, the great thing about the ICS books is they're written so that a person with maybe not that much education can understand it. You know, it's spelled out very clearly. And so so they're desirable. Uh, engineering manuals uh, have charts and graphs in them and tables, a lot of tables that you don't have in in books these days.
0: We're uh, winding down here, but I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share with us uh, just a little bit about uh – what uh, some of the most valuable lessons uh, learned uh, have been, uh, both in uh, getting the business to a point where it's growing, and uh, and then also uh, what it's been like to work together as a couple?
2: Um, I think one of the lessons um, I mean, I learn something new every day on this job. It is so interesting. But um we've really had to have a se- a good sense of what our customers are looking for and what is out there um, to find in other places. over the years, we've had to expand our inventory to have reading copies of things and all all kinds of uh, different books so people have a lot of choices so our audience could grow for the business
0: customer driven more than even most businesses yeah and what about working together it sounds like you get along pretty well we do we do um my wife
1: and i met working together and and so and we've been married for 25 years and we we think the same and she has her area of expertise and i have mine and we we're pretty easygoing people so working for us is is not a not a hard thing and uh but no yeah we rarely if ever get into arguments on the job
0: easygoing that's an often overlooked uh yeah. virtue but yeah. boy does it make a difference
2: and it it does it it makes a huge difference um you know, when you can allow the other person to express what they want to express. Well,
0: you both seem like relaxed, very pleasant <laughs> people. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come on to the Business Hour.
1: Thank you. Thank you We so could much. talk for hours.
0: <laughs> and and we might have you back to do that okay. that very thing. You've been listening to the Business Hour. We've had Jan Bogla and Bob Rorty of Atlanta Finish Books. This is America's Web Radio. The Business Hour is on from 10 to 11 a.m. on Fridays. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.